You're listening to audio from the St. Luke Church in Lexington, Kentucky. If you'd like to learn more or donate to this ministry, please check out our website at stlukelex.com. We are talking about true happiness, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. A lot of scripture, if it's okay. I'm going to just read it for you. It's going to get spicy. Hold on. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In this hour of worship, somewhere in the United States, there will be one murder, 2,400 couples will file for divorce, and 33 million people will be on adult websites. Do I have your attention now? I think the funny thing is, is that the Christian community has been co-opted to take all kinds of different avenues of dealing with these three issues, anger and adultery or lust and divorce. And because of it, lives have been broken, happiness has been gone, and all along I think we've missed Jesus' answer. In fact, we've been talking about happiness We've said there's two different kinds of happiness, the happiness of our culture and of the crowds, a conditional happiness rooted in past or future terms. I was happy when I had a great job. I was happy when I first got married. I was happy when my kids were little. I was happy when I lived in a different place. Or the future kind of happiness, which says I'll be happy when I get a new job, when I win the lottery, so on and so forth. And there's a very different kind of happiness, the happiness that comes from the kingdom, from those who are committed to Christ, a conclusive kind of happiness. And it's always present term. I am happy. 
I'm happy because I find my life, my meaning, my purpose, which is all rooted in and given from God. And so Jesus has shared with us so far eight Beatitudes or ways. I want to emphasize these are not laws, but they're ways of the kingdom. And the way of the kingdom starts off at spiritual bankruptcy. You recognize you're poor in spirit, and the beauty is along the way, God helps you and transforms your life that you'll become not only pure in heart, but so into the kingdom life, you'd be willing to be persecuted for it. I said, don't mistake, these are not laws. There's the way of the kingdom. And in fact, Jesus says it today. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to I want you to think of the word fulfill as being maybe translated a little better for us today as satisfy. Jesus has come to satisfy the conditions of the law. And even so, he's come to satisfy our hearts, to give us what it is that we truly long for. It's not as though Jesus says to the crowds who are gathered there, so the Father, the Son, and the, or the Father, the Spirit, and I, rather, we're sitting around talking about this whole law thing, and we realize we made a terrible mistake. So... No, he says, I've not come to abolish anything. It was good. I'm going to satisfy it. Still is good. See, the laws are about grace, but somehow we've conflated this idea. I imagine a lot of sermons uh, we've preached over the years, we're not under law, we're under grace, has made us think that the law is bad. The law isn't bad. The law is good. In fact, Paul tells us that a number of times. In fact, it's so good that the law begins with grace. We just tend to forget it. Our reading of the Ten Commandments tends to be something like this. Do these or I smoke you. When in fact, the beginning of the law says this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God who delivered you from slavery and bondage and death. And therefore, the first law is don't have any other gods before me. The law begins with grace. Unfortunately, We've made it about something else. So Jesus isn't here to abolish anything. He's come to satisfy it. The law is about grace, and the purpose of that grace is to live life in union or in harmony with God. He's here to help us get to the heart of what it's all about. And the problem is this. The problem is all we've done is make more laws. In fact, we're good at this in our culture today just as they were in the days of Jesus. The Pharisees, I told you last week, offered laws upon more laws upon more laws so you could do the original laws. And what Jesus is after is, look, all those guys, they get the letter, but what they don't get is the heart. I'm after the heart. And I want your heart to be satisfied. And here's the thing that we begin to learn. When we live the kingdom life, with a heart that's been satisfied by Jesus Christ, we come to recognize that we don't have to anymore work for the love of God. We can work from the love of God. It's because God loved us that we're able to love God and we're able to love people around us. And if you're thinking, what about them? Yes, them too. So he doesn't want to abolish the law. He's not out to get rid of the law. Really what he's after is satisfying the heart of what the law is all about. And that's why he addresses the sixth and seventh commandments today, the commandments of murder and adultery. And look at what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you 
that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. For how many people this morning did it just get real? You been angry lately? Anybody? Not me. Of course you have. You know, one of the reasons I use New Circle Road and too many, too many of my sermons, just as I did in the days when I lived in Louisville, it was the Waterson Expressway, is it is a perfect caricature, a perfect metaphor for total depravity in all of life. Because we have these laws that are, govern, that are supposed to govern the intentions that we have. We're supposed to look out for other people. We're supposed to follow these. And as we do so, it keeps us safe and the people around us safe. And then the problem is you enter the ramp to get on New Circle Road. And what happens? All hell breaks loose. <laughs> and so somebody's going 80. Other people are swerving in and out. And some clown is texting on their way to work his grocery list that's really, really important. And I have to be honest, the reason that that really upsets me is simple. My wife almost died from someone who was texting and driving. And so I get angry. And each of us has gotten angry on New Circle Road. I guarantee it. We just use different words, especially in Southern culture. (laughs) Am I close? We say, bless their heart. (laughs) We say, oh, you poor misguided soul. Yeah. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, here's the deal. You've heard it said, don't murder. That's the law. But I say to you, the bigger heart issue is anger. And it's a rabbinic convention. It was used all throughout the ancient world. When the rabbi sat down to talk or to teach, they would say, you have heard it said, Rabbi so-and-so says, and Rabbi so-and-so says, and Rabbi so-and-so says, but I say to you. And what Jesus does is says this, you have heard God say to you, don't murder. But I say to you, really the issue, the deeper matter of the heart is that anger is murder. The deeper matter of the heart is an adultery. It's lust. The deeper matter of of the law is this divorce certificate. In the ancient world, people could divorce anybody over their cooking if it was bad. What is it that's going on in your heart? The issue is having the right heart. You can do the letter of the law, you bet. But if you miss the spirit of the law and you have the wrong heart, well, is your heart really satisfied? See, Jesus isn't here to abolish the law, but to satisfy it, to change our hearts, to make us salt and light. It's not like you woke up this morning and went, I'm so happy I didn't murder anybody yesterday. I mean, maybe there's been a time where you've said that. But how many of you could say that you woke up with no anger? Or you haven't been angry at your brother and your sister in the last week? Or with your spouse or your kid? or even the person on New Circle Road. See, now we're after something entirely different. More lustful thoughts about another man or another woman, or that you haven't consumed it on television or social media or the like. How do I know if I've lusted? Well, follow me. 
Put your hands out like this. Check right there. I suspect if that's beating, at some point in your life, you've dealt with lustful thoughts. Let's just be honest. And I'm not guilty. Excuse me, I am guilty. (laughs) I'm as guilty as the next person. That's the point I'm trying to make. And so Jesus has something here to say to us. He's not here to abolish the law. He's here to satisfy it and to recognize that the issue is not so much can we follow the letter of the law. The issue is what about a heart that's satisfied? And I suppose if we're going to get at that, the Beatitudes remind us that we have to start at our spiritual bankruptcy and then recognize that God is going to work an amazing transformation in our lives as we become pure in heart. Take a look at the scriptures again. It says this. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and they're remembering your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So what does he do? He equates murder with anger. And the issue is how anger leads to murder. Anger manifests quite simply because of unmet expectations in your life. You expected one thing and you got something else. You expected when you entered the entrance ramp to New Circle Road that people were going to look out for you and they decided not to. You expected that you were going to be treated one way and instead you got something else. You expected that when you entered the realm of social media, you were going to have pleasant things to read and instead by people who were good friends of yours, they started on some rant and you thought, oh dear Lord, how could you ever think such a thing? And so you get angry. One of the most interesting fits of anger, I suppose we could say, is what happens on Sundays at restaurants. It's the least likely desirable day for servers. Did you know that? If you were to ask servers which day they don't want to work, it's the Sunday lunch routine. Because all too often people come from church and they mistreat those who are serving them. And the problem is entitlement culture. I'm entitled to a hot meal with my 95 changes to it before I got it. It started off as chicken and it ended up as beef. And now because you didn't bring it quick enough, hot enough in the way that I like it, and because I think that on the social strata I'm above you, I'm going to manifest all of my anger at you. It's sad. What's the real issue? The issue is the heart. And that's what Jesus is after. I do road rage. I'm awful to a server. And then I pray about it. I I pray about it in my Monday uh, prayer routine or the scripture readings that I do. Or I pray about it that night and I say, Jesus, you know, I really probably wasn't nice enough to that person. Will you forgive me? And that's the end of it. And Jesus has a very different idea. Sure, you can pray about it, and I'm all for it. But here's the thing. If you really want to fix the heart of the matter, first go be reconciled to your brother. If you've hurt somebody, go to them first. And then come and offer your gift. Hey, I'm sorry I did this. Hey, I was angry at you. Forgive me that I hurt you. It's funny what we do with anger, isn't it? Follow me for just a minute if you would. Clench your hands as hard as you can. Hold them up. 
this is how a lot of people walk through the world. Is it starting to hurt yet? Your arm's cramping? You can let go because we don't want anybody to have some kind of medical condition while we're here. But the point is that people walk through this world with these clenched fists, and at some point, the pain from it, you've got to let go. And where do you tend to let out your anger the most on the people who are closest to you and in the same room? Are you with me? And then rather than start with a prayer, we forget about what Jesus has to say. Be reconciled with your brother. Be reconciled to your sister. I did this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And the problem with anger is it's the gift that keeps on giving. Have you ever noticed this? Before you know it, it spills out everywhere. And it has different forms. Sarcasm, form of anger. Well, I'm a sarcastic person. You know, you're just angry. And you start to hurt people that you care about. What does Jesus say about it? He says, come to terms with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. How many people know that anger imprisons you? And just like those clenched fists, it's all that you can see. And Jesus goes on to say, truly, I say you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. See, the issue isn't murder. Congratulations for not murdering somebody today. But the issue is anger. The issue isn't the law. The issue is the right heart, which is why Jesus takes on the seventh commandment then, which is adultery. And notice what he says. You've heard of this. It was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her where? In his heart. In his heart. He's not after the letter of the law. He's after the spirit. He's after the... The matter of the heart, and here's where it gets spicy. You know what is tied to lust in our culture today? Anger. Anger. And here's how the system works. We live in a culture now that talks about sex more than ever. Have you noticed this? And in fact, we've accepted the conditions of this so much so that we just go, well, you know, that's culture. That's what we do. And our kids live in this. And they have all kinds of really conflated, confused ideas about how sex is supposed to work. And we don't say a whole lot along the way. Sure, we teach them some important biological functions and how all of these things work and birds and bees and what have you. But do we really get to the fact that when you engage in sexual activity with somebody, it creates a bond that you don't just break? Have we talked about the fact that you make decisions now which you pay for later on? We don't talk about that a whole lot. And even more so, as hypersexualized as our culture is, as much as we talk about it, what all of the studies are beginning to show is that more and more often people talk about it lots, but they're not doing it so much. In fact, 20% is one of the latest studies which I read. 20% of marriages nowadays are without sex altogether, which leaves people angry. And now the medium for enacting that anger occurs in this wonderful little box that you can also take with you. And that's how 33 million people end up this morning on an adult website. Because that lust is going to go manifest itself somewhere, just as that anger is going to manifest itself somewhere. And so the cycle goes. The lack of intimacy leads to anger, the anger to lust, the lust drives people 
to the new vehicle called pornography. And really, it's not new. It's been around for a very long time. It just changes different forms. And so the story goes in marriages, it's something like this. The man withholds emotional intimacy, and the woman withholds physical intimacy. And this cycle, it's vicious. And behind it is anger. When is she going to give? When is he going to give? And the problem is, neither gives. I mean, you hear people say, oh, he's so stupid. Well, you married him. What does that make you? (laughs) She's so stubborn. Well, you're still with her. What does that make you? I mean, and this goes on and on and on. And guys, here's the thing. We fought like crazy to win our wife's heart. And then we give up. We stop trying to win her heart. We think, well, you know, I got stuff to do today. I got work to do. I got hobbies. To, I got the game to watch, all this other stuff. And so rather than tell her she's beautiful, that she's lovely, that she's one of the greatest gifts God has ever given you, to spend quality time with her on the things that she loves, not just what you love, we miss the opportunity. Guys, when's the last time you took your wife out on a date and got off your phone and it was a place that she wanted and you encouraged her to get dressed up and the first thing you told her when you took her out that night is, wow, you're just as beautiful as the day I first met you. Because if you don't, she's going to find it somewhere else. She craves emotional intimacy with you. And you need to man up and provide it. And ladies, I'm not here to say we're going to, you know, quote 1 Corinthians and every time he's ready, you better be ready. That's not where I'm headed. But here's the thing that I would say. Sex is not a weapon and it is not a bargaining chip. And if the formula goes something like when he, then I... All I'm asking you to do is just check your heart. It's not easy. I didn't want to teach this passage. Are you kidding me? I'd rather hand it off to an associate. (laughs) Jesus really has some hard-hitting things to say to us. I mean, look at what he says about lust. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, whatever it is. That's wreaking havoc. The point is this, you drag it into the light and you get rid of it. Guard your heart. Protect your eyes. And teach your children to do the same thing. It's not acceptable to just simply say, well, sex sells, it's part of our culture. No. You don't have to buy that. You don't have to engage in it. The way of the kingdom is different. And it brings us to the last and perhaps most controversial piece in all of it, which is the issue of divorce. How anger and lust lead that way. Eventually, there's a break. And this is true in all of life. I'm not just talking about marital divorce. Are there conditions in which a divorce is very much appropriate? You bet. We might think of abuse or adultery or unconfronted addiction. You bet. And I wonder sometimes if we walk too quickly into divorce. 
And church, let me say this too. We've done a poor job at loving well those who are divorcees. We've all made a decision in haste. We've all made a decision that we regret. And people shouldn't ever be treated like second-class citizens, not in the kingdom, no matter what they've done or where they've been. Because if you forget, let me just take you back. The place that this entire sermon starts with this starts with is this. If you're spiritually bankrupt, then the kingdom of God is yours. And when the kingdom of God becomes yours, you're on your way to becoming pure in heart. I don't know of one single person in here, including this very flawed preacher, who isn't in need of that kind of grace. No matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, the kingdom is wide open. And so that takes us back to the very, very beginning. During the course of this hour, one murder will be committed in the United States. 2,400 people, marriages, I should say, will file for divorce, and 33 million people will visit an adult website. Anger, lust, and divorce. And Jesus has a whole lot to say about these things. I think our challenge, church, is we've been co-opted into finding political solutions for spiritual problems. And let me tell you this. As good as it might be that we have more laws about gun control, it's not going to fix the fact that people have been murdering each other for a long time. And as much as we might want to provide safeguards on our computers or ruin the pornography industry, which is now a multiple billion dollar industry, it's not going to change the fact that people have found it since the beginning of time. Jesus has a whole lot to say about this. And yet what we try to do is make laws upon more laws upon more laws, which never get to satisfying the heart of the matter. And what Jesus says, the gospel simple truth is this. If you're angry, if you're lustful, if you're on the brink of divorce or trying to recover from one, your heart isn't satisfied. And rather than another law or another spiritual to do, it's this simple. Realize you're spiritually bankrupt. And when you fall at the cross and at the feet of Jesus and surrender, your heart begins to be satisfied. That's where it begins. Find your happiness there. And as you do, you move from spiritually bankrupt to pure in heart. That's the kind of heart that's full. The kind of heart that can love people well. The kind of heart that finds hope, healing, and wholeness. That's what we talk about every Sunday. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that uh, at the front end of the sermon, you give us some hard-hitting truths. And we pray today, as we surrender at the foot of the cross, that you would give us hope, healing, and wholeness. We pray that we, as we come to you in prayer, you'll help us find those relationships that need reconciliation. You'll help us find those places in our hearts that are empty or dry and that we would seek you, that it might be satisfied and full. 
as we go out this week and live in a culture that can be very angry and lust-filled and broken. We pray, O oh God, that you would keep our eyes straight ahead and our hearts fixed on you. We thank you that you died on a cross and you rose again on the third day to give us new life. And that life comes abundantly to us in and through you alone, Lord Jesus. Be Lord and Savior and be leader in our lives. Strengthen us to be your people. And may you satisfy every heart that's here that's dry or hurting or lonely. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, this altar is open for you. Let's stand and sing together.